welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 163 for Monday, October 18th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixariffs, and joining me as always is my good friend Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir, and uh, we are fresh on the heels of covering Minecraft Live 2021 this past weekend. And if you'd like to hear Johnny and I talk more about our, our experience doing the co-stream with that, the watch party that we did over on Johnny's uh, Twitch channel, then you should listen to the Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. It's something that our Patreon members get a chance to download every week. It is on its own RSS feed. You get it automatically. And you can do that at patreon.com slash chunks. Become a member and get access to all kinds of perks, including things like the quarterly patron hangout. What's that? Well, once a quarter, Johnny and I get together uh, live in Discord with our patrons and talk about the business of the podcast, how the podcast is doing, how it's growing, our plans for the future, uh, different questions from the community about the show and how we run it, that kind of thing. The next one is happening this Saturday, October 23rd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or 3 p.m. in the UK. Pretty sure that doesn't go over the time change you guys don't do that until november i think yeah right, i think Johnny? i think it's yeah. going to happen a little bit later i'm very glad that we've managed to schedule it without that because it's tricky yes. up in previous years yeah exactly so uh so mark it on your calendar we will also post obviously in the discord reminding everybody uh of um of when that's happening and if you are a patron and you want to have uh, a question answered specifically about the podcast. Remember, it's about the spawn chunks, not necessarily about Minecraft. But if you wouldn't mind tagging uh, the subject line of your email as quarterly hangout, uh, that way we can uh, file it accordingly and have it ready to be answered on, on the show. Quarterly hangouts are normally about 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, they are available to download via the Patreon-only RSS feed later if you can't make the live stream. Now, normally, uh, the third week of the month is our chunk mail dispenser, which has been unlocked by the generous contribution of you patrons. Uh, but because of just a wee bit of news this week, we're going to push the chunk mail dispenser to next week uh, and answer <laughs> yeah. emails from y'all then. Uh, and hopefully people will have enough time to like catch up on Minecraft news, listen to the spawn chunks, hear our thoughts on, on the news this week, and then formulate their own questions and comments and write them in uh, next week for the chunk mail dispenser. And it feels like a lot of my week has also kind of been taken up by the Minecraft news. So I feel like I haven't done a huge amount to talk about in our quick login. Um, I've done a bit more stuff on the Ant Hill build on the Empire's SMP. It's going really well so far. I'm a lot happier with it this time around, building it up from sandstone at desert level up into the terracotta kind of range of colors. And most of that is going is going pretty swimmingly. Um, we have a couple of other things to take care of on the server. This week we're getting back into some storyline stuff, but I'm hoping that it's going to come together. I'm also wondering what the timescale is going to look like for Empire's SMP now that we know Minecraft 1.18 is potentially coming out sometime within the next month or two. So that's adjusted what I'm expecting to get done on this server before I eventually go back and start my, my 1.18 survival guide world. But uh, I'm trying not to anticipate that too much because then I feel like I won't get a whole lot else done. So that's really been what I've done in terms of Minecraft activity this week. The rest of it has been so focused on the Minecraft Live mob vote and since then I've been recreating a couple of things that we saw at Minecraft Live in a couple of creative worlds which I'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, how about you Joel? What's, uh, what's new on the Citadel this week? So I uh, thankfully didn't have to think too hard about what to do next uh, on Sunday, which was the only day that I had to stream this weekend. And I uh, went in and finished up the Northern Barracks area. So 
Uh, I had to remove all my shulker boxes that were stuck to the the wall that I was using. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and realize, oh, there's a giant empty space here that I need to fill with something. And it needed some texture work and whatever, because of course the shulker boxes had hidden everything behind them. Uh, but I put in like a, a wagon, uh, no horse or anything like that, just like a wagon full of hay. I might change some of the blocks out for like barrels or crates or something. Um, I put some crates around just to kind of make it um, like a little bit more lived in or busy or something a little bit more functional. Um, and then we also had to do some functionality stuff, which was include the staircases that would give the soldiers that would potentially live in these barracks quick access to the curtain wall, uh, in the North of the town. So there's two major towers, uh, one in the far East, the other one right in front of the barracks, and they both needed wooden staircases. But of course, both towers are different heights because the terrain changes. Uh, and I think they're the same inside dimensions, although one tower might be a little bit larger than the other. Um, but neither were um, the same entry point. Uh, the 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 top floor had to have a specific location where the stairs could go up. So both staircases had to be completely different. And in one case, it was actually two small staircases with a horizontal platform. So what I like so much about these things is that I've started to learn that if you give yourself like a good five by five or seven by seven, you will have room for stairs. The cool thing about that is that you don't know what they're going to look like and you're not stuck building the exact same staircase in every single tower so yeah, it's not boring right. you know so i i used like um trap doors and planks and stairs i used some oak um logs for pillars to support things or, or look like they're supporting things um and then i just added a little bit of stuff that you walk by like a crate you know uh, my notebook has a custom crate texture i also make crates that have like stripped wood blocks and signs and things like that mm -hmm. uh and so it just adds a lot of life um tricky part for now is still lighting everything um i mean i don't want them to be dark anyway but um at the moment i also don't want them to be creeper spawning points so everything has to have at least one lantern in it uh, usually at the bottom uh and then at the top again in the tower uh, and that's usually enough because of course with slabs uh stairs and the number of trap doors i use for like railings you eliminate dark spawning places with with those blocks it doesn't matter right because the creepers and or mobs can't spawn spawn in them anyway so so that's been fun uh but the nice kind of landmark for all of this is that completes everything east of the river and almost everything east of the main road there's still a number of houses that are technically on the east side of the main road that i have to design um but uh, everything from the river that touches the river kind of like east onward is now done nice uh, so yeah it feels really good uh it makes me realize that if it's taken me a year to do half the town <laughs> do, <laughs> do i really do i really want to spend the next year doing the other half the town now i suspect the other half might come together faster uh, because of just skills I've learned. I've noticed that I can do certain builds now in like one stream as opposed to three, yeah, stuff like sure. that. So it depends on on what I, I have to to do. Um, it also like there might be some stuff where like I might end up holding out for new blocks. Like I might wait until 118 drops to get better, easier access to different things and uh, that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll see what happens um, in the next little while. But it's it's nice to check that box, and it's nice when you look east. It definitely feels quite finished, which is which is a good a good feeling, um, and uh, just kind of like a a nice reminder that these kind of things in Minecraft take time. And as long as you're consistent, and for me, it's been almost every weekend, you know, on streams for the better part of a year. And yes, I've taken breaks, like I did my moss uh, farm that took at least a month. 
of streams, you know. Um, so there's been breaks away from this particular area, but generally my main project has been has been this. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm looking to possibly take a, a small break once I finish off this half of the town. Like once it feels finished when you walk in that front gate, I'm, I'm thinking about switching over and maybe playing a little bit of modded Minecraft or just something to kind of tide us over until 118 comes out. So I yeah. wanted to ask you, because I was just, you know, keeping up on your videos and whatnot. Are you kind of slowing down on the hardcore survival guide now until 118? Because we know that it's coming sooner than later. I feel like I never got enough momentum with Hardcore Survival Guide. Even though I got a really good start in that world, it really feels like I don't have the time now to put as much into larger projects. And my problem was always splitting between that and Empires, and the pace mm. that other people were building on Empires meant that I had to put a little bit more time into that instead of splitting the time more evenly. I just wasn't prioritizing hardcore at all and neither was my audience i feel like people adopted empires as a series much more readily than they did the the hardcore series after they both really got going so i'm yeah i'm kind of slowing down on hardcore i'm not certain that i want to kind of completely end the world i'm certainly not going to die intentionally because that's not the vibe i want from it but i i also yeah i don't know i feel like so much of my enthusiasm has been either for empires or for looking at what's coming next and checking out the snapshots and all of the experimental terrain that's really where my heart is right now so i'm, I'm thinking ahead already of survival guide season two and what it's going to look like doing a permanent sort of normal survival guide world again and i yeah i i don't know i'll probably come to a decision about that over the next week or two and I'm definitely going to keep the world around in case I want to return to it in future. But the the hardcore survival guide is not going to have nearly the lifespan that survival guide uh, season one did. That's for certain. It's going to be an interesting switch when you do start season two and you are not on a hardcore world. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. It's like the, the breath of fresh air, I'm sure. Yes, will be I, can, I can die in silly ways and it doesn't <laughs> have any ramifications long term for the series. It's great. Nice. Uh, speaking of dying in silly ways, though, uh, there are apparently new ways to do that coming to the game uh, fairly soon, but uh, we, we need to get into the news so we can talk about some of that. Of course, the big news this week was Minecraft Live 2021. We'll have links to the YouTube stream of it. Uh, it was also streamed in various other places, but we'll link to the, the YouTube VOD of the entire Minecraft Live event, which includes the community pre-show, but youtube.com slash Minecraft also has sections of the show are kind of split up into different chunks uh, so that if you just want to hear about the 1.19 announcement if you just want to see the community pre-show or the stuff about bedrock developer tools or anything like that you can go in and get those individual things there is also a text recap on minecraft.net titled minecraft live 2021 the recap uh, there have been a couple of times when that link has been inconsistent like it's 404 for me a couple of times but i think maybe they've been taking it down to amend it and then bringing it back up so hopefully uh, when it's in the show notes that link should take you to the minecraft.net article but they streamed it we streamed it everyone seems to have streamed it uh, the full broadcast was 2 hours and 15 minutes long with about 45 minutes of community pre-show and once the main show got going we had the following announcements. First of all, Caves and Cliffs Part 2 is, as we've been saying, on schedule. Uh, Agnes and Henrik spent some time recapping the changes coming to 1.18 Caves and Cliffs Update Part 2. They emphasised community involvement in shaping this update. And speaking of shaping the update, they did take a look at terrain blending between old and new chunks, which hasn't come to Java Edition snapshots yet, but is currently being rolled out to beta versions of Bedrock Edition. 
The seed parity between Java and Bedrock was also highlighted as an important new development for this update, and they announced that the Warden and the Deep Dark would not be included in 1.18, having a greater role to play in the 1.19 update, which would end up being revealed later in the show. Following that, we got the news that Minecraft is coming to Xbox Game Pass for PC. Previously only available on the console plan for Xbox Game Pass, Minecraft will be available on the PC plan for Xbox Game Pass beginning, I believe, next month. Uh, this will include access to both Java and Bedrock editions of the game, so you have the option of playing either or both. Uh, it's perhaps worth noting, since some people did misunderstand from what I saw, this is not an announcement of cross-play between Bedrock and Java editions, it's only that you can have access to either version through the same monthly subscription service. Also a reminder that Minecraft Dungeons is on Xbox Game Pass 2 if you're interested in looking for other Minecraft titles while you're there, along with a whole bunch of other games from broader things than just Minecraft, but if Minecraft is your passion then Xbox Game Pass is another way you can now play that. Uh, following that announcement, Vu and Jens introduced the mob vote after a pretty hilarious introduction featuring an animated tiny Jens <laughs> interacting with Vu live on stage. Uh, Big Jens turned up, and the players were given the option to vote for the Glare, the Allay, or the Copper Golem. If you get all your news from the Spawn Chunks, you've only heard about the Glare so far, uh, but we're actually going to be saving our discussion of the mob vote for next week, because there's so much other stuff that we want to get to. Uh, but in the end, voting took place over two polls during the remainder of the Minecraft Live show, with the Glare dropping out in the first poll, and then the Allay ultimately winning, with 54.3% of the votes to the Copper Golems, 457 Next, we had a segment from the Marketplace and Creator Tools team. They hosted a segment where they talked about Marketplace innovations, highlighted some of their favorite creators and projects, and then discussed how pivotal the community-developed tool Blockbench has become. There was a short video presentation on Blockbench following that, where we learned the Minecraft team had even used Blockbench to develop the Axolotl and the Goat that we now know and love from Caves and Cliffs Part 1. After a couple of short videos celebrating 10 years of Minecraft Live and the Minecraft YouTube channel, we also got an announcement from Minecraft Dungeons. Seasonal adventures are coming to the game. This is the next step in Minecraft Dungeons development and is a move to roll out more evergreen content for the game. Releasing towards the end of 2021, Season 1 will be called The Cloudy Climb and will be playable even after the game rolls forward into future seasons. So once they're on Season 2, you can still go back and play content from Season 1. The main feature of this is going to be a centerpiece called The Tower, where players start with a fresh character and progress upwards through 30 increasingly difficult levels. The layout is going to remain identical for two weeks at a time and will reset after that point, but it allows players to compare notes and strategize because every time they run the tower it's going to be the same. Players can also accumulate adventure points going towards a progression track, similar to Battle Pass offerings in games like Fall Guys or Fortnite that you might be familiar with. Uh, the rewards from that include new skins, capes, pets, character emotes, and different flare animations that trigger when certain things happen, such as defeating mobs or leveling up, a way to earn kind of more cosmetic rewards as you progress through the content offered in these seasonal adventures. Minecraft 1.19 was revealed to be the Wild Update. The update will focus on two major elements, immersion in the natural world of surface biomes and the team's expanded vision of the deep dark. Some concept art was shown, illustrating the feeling of exploration they want to capture with this update and hinting at birch forests being due for an overhaul. In the deep dark, 
they have expanded it to a large area with ruined structures called ancient cities. Many of these will be covered in skulk blocks, including skulk sensors, catalysts, and shriekers. Catalysts will spread the skulk when mobs are killed nearby, with the amount of spread determined by the amount of XP orbs the mob would drop. It was also mentioned that the skulk blocks would drop XP when broken. When shriekers hear a player, they inflict a pulsing darkness effect, and activating them too many times can summon the warden. The warden now appears out of the ground, listing for and smelling for the player. It can be distracted by other sounds, but will attack ruthlessly once it finds you. The warden may be guarding exclusive loot, but no details were given on exactly what kind of loot. The swamp has also been highlighted as a key biome getting an update. The features will sound familiar to anyone who remembers the swamp being a close runner-up in the 2019 biome vote. Mangrove trees will be introduced along with mangrove swamp biomes. Mangroves will have their own wood type, a new leaf type, unique saplings called propagules, which grow from being planted in water, and root blocks. Mud blocks will also be a feature, appearing naturally in swamps, but renewable through combining dirt and water from water bottles. Drying out mud on dripstone blocks will turn it into clay, bringing a renewable clay mechanic to the game, and mud can also be formed into mud bricks. Boats with chests were introduced, and also frogs and fireflies. Frogs grow from tadpoles into full-sized critters, and will have three color variants depending on which biome temperature they're raised in. Agnes hinted at each frog having different uses to the player, but still no concept stage, um, or it's still at the concept stage. Frogs eat fireflies, which can otherwise be found in glittery clouds around the swamp. In non-Minecraft Live News, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W41A uh, was released on October 13th. Changes in this snapshot include that the main menu backdrop now shows Caves and Cliffs Part 2. Abandoned mine shafts now generate higher up in Badlands. Geodes now only generate up to a height level of 30, and their rarity has been adjusted to match 117 levels. The angle at which sprinting against blocks does not break your sprint has been increased. Some technical changes include the change to prioritizing the order in which chunk rendering is happening in the pipeline. Unrendered chunks holes in the world should not appear anymore while flying fast with a high render distance. Server classes are now signed. New random number generation for the overworld generation as well. Bug fixes of notes. Uh, a full list of the bug fixes, of course, will be in the changelog linked in our show notes at minecraft.net. Um, but uh, the nether biomes don't generate correctly. That's been fixed. Uh, Minecraft in 118 has a 2 to the power of 48 seeds instead of 2 to the power of 64 seeds. Item frames, uh, which was the item entity, used to be, use the texture of oaks, planks. Sign textures did not correspond with the actual texture of their handle and texture of door items did not match the blocks themselves. So naturally, uh, Minecraft Live, and in this case, the wild update is going to dominate the main discussion, as rightly it should. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. So I figured we could spend this section after the news briefly uh, talking about the snapshot. And I went down a Reddit rabbit hole about the what the number generator change means. Because for a start, it's going to be a huge shift for players 
already working in snapshot worlds, but also generating seeds to try and find out what your next world is going to be. If you're interested in that, if you're hosting a server and you want to see the terrain beforehand, your seed is going to generate new terrain everywhere. It's going to look completely different now because something fundamental has changed about what they do with the seed number that then leads to the world generating how it does. Um, but in case those numbers didn't sound like such a big difference. 2 to the power of 48 versus 2 to the power of 64. Uh, you know, 48 and 64 seem like fairly close numbers, but it's the power of that really makes the difference. Um, it's the difference between Minecraft having 281 trillion seeds, which is already a pretty big number, and 18 quintillion seeds. So, like, add five zeros after the first number and you reach the second number, more or less. Uh, to put it another way, 2 to the power of 48 is basically 0.001% of 2 to the power of 64. So it's an exponentially larger number. Um, to, to put it another way here, uh, this Reddit thread had a bunch of really great examples of how to visualize this. This Reddit comment pointed out that if you ran a very efficient seed finding program, assuming that it could check a billion seeds within a second, which I think is about what they said is possible, it would take three days if you wanted to search 2 to the power of 48 seeds. If you were searching 2 to the power of 64 seeds, it would take close to 600 years. <laughs> so... While, obviously, nobody is going to experience that number of Minecraft worlds in their lifetime, and you would argue that you don't even need a number of that size to make things unique, it definitely stops people from, you know, if you're trying to keep a seed number private, from brute-forcing it and somehow figuring out how you've generated that world anyway. Considering how long it took them to find the pack.mc meta, like, uh, the, the pack.png, uh icon that was like the the default icon for for minecraft worlds it was a massive effort by the community and eventually involved running numbers like this i think it's it's really interesting to see the community get excited about this stuff and how mathematically possible it is to generate different minecraft worlds now so uh, congrats on minecraft for having uh 10,000 more ways <laughs> of generating seeds again i wonder what prompted this if it was the expansion of the overworld and the need to make that either run more smoothly or um the fact that 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 they were already going under the hood like well we're already you know sweeping under the bed we might as well just move the whole bed and and just make everything uh future proof to the best of their ability uh or if it was a combination of that and um the seed parody with uh, bedrock yeah it could well have been and i'm i'm kind of curious about that but i I, I read this Reddit article and I sort of understood largely what people were saying, but it left me with no foundation to understand anything more about it for myself. <laughs> so I, I, I hesitate to even speculate on this stuff because it's just a, a level of maths that my brain is not physically prepared for. Um, looking at the other stuff in this changelog, I'm of course very happy that nether biomes are generating correctly because now we can take our striders for a walk in the overworld without having to jump through many hoops in order to do that. Um... It's a weird nitpick, but I get kind of dizzy from how fast the new menu background moves, and I think it's because it's such a wide scene to look at. It feels like it's rotating kind of fast, just so you can take in the full panorama of the mountains around you. And, you know, it's, it's not to the point where I get motion sick, I'm not looking at it for that long, but it does seem like it's passing too fast. I want a little bit more time to, to look at the, uh, the sweeping landscape around us on the main menu. I wonder if that's something that they might add for um, like accessibility stuff because 
um, they changed the ability to have like the red Mojang logo changed to black. Yeah, uh, which yeah. I've done just because not f- for any kind of need other than I just find it easier on the eyes. Uh, but if you could also say yes, no to rotate, you know, mm-hmm. the the screenshot, uh, or have an option to have it be a slideshow instead of a like instead of a video, like instead of yeah. animated, just have it like just rotate through different views of of different cool things would be would be good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they've kind of set like a, a a precedent where they they update the the panorama shot in in the menu with every update. Yeah. Um, but I'm a little sad to see the the cave go. <laughs> yeah. The 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 uh, the geo that they had before because I thought that was pretty cool, uh, and showed off the new update. So, uh, I mean, I get it. I know that they want to show off the mountains and, and whatnot, but uh, I agree. I think I think that it's it's probably the, the it's a combination of it being outside again. And the speed and and the the angle. I've there's a couple of Minecraft creators that I would love to to watch, but they play it like their FOV is at ninety. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I I can't do it because with that between that the speed at which they move around and change and move the mouse, I'm just like, nope, I'm too old. It's a lot <laughs> of like yeah, blurry objects in the peripheral vision, and yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of awkward. Um, the other bugs we have here are largely texture changes I'm noticing and frankly it's mm-hmm. it's proving to me if anything that I'm not as observant as I thought or rather that I take stuff in this game for granted without really looking closely at it because I had not noticed that the door icons looked completely different to some of the doors that we were placing in the world and I say completely different that's maybe an exaggeration but the, the difference I think was most noticeable in the jungle door I was looking at Azuma's video about this where he places a jungle door and then you know contrasts the two icons side by side and it does look significantly different so i think it's nicer that the little icons the sprites that we get in our inventories are um a little bit more accurate likewise the item frames apparently use the texture of oak planks where now they look closer to birch and when they're placed in the world they look a little closer to birch so it just gives the player a better idea of what to expect looking at the uh the item from an icon I think for me with the icons for the signs, I was just like, I guess I didn't notice that. But at the same time, your brain associates like the the, the birch sign, the main sign color is the correct color. So like you kind of know what you're clicking on. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, and I thought about the doors and I realized I play with one of the vanilla tweaks packs that I have then um, actually used Blockbench to to update a little bit. Uh, so I have um, 3D doors and 3D trap doors. So they actually mm-hmm. have like a pixel depth to them, including the windows. Uh, and as a result, I have custom items in my inventory. So I was right. like, why didn't I? No- why didn't I notice this? It's because they. <laughs> it's because they. They look like the custom texture pack. So I. This one. It's one of the things in vanilla that I actually have tweaked and and play with on a regular basis. So I missed it. Mm. Well, I'm glad other people are out there looking for this stuff because it's stuff that would have completely passed me by otherwise. Um, it's good to hear that stuff is going to be improved for chunk rendering as well. Obviously, this is the stage in these snapshots where they're looking to make optimizations because i expect a large proportion of the work on terrain is done and so now it's looking at lessening the performance impact and making sure that the experience is still smooth for the player and we heard a little bit about that in the minecraft live show where uh, one of the uh you know people who works on the game frequently was talking about optimizations that he made and and how exciting it was to find a bug that ended up or, or to find an optimization rather that ended up you know changing the performance of the game with a a knock-on effect and so it's it's really good to see that there are still a couple of things creeping in in these snapshots which should hopefully uh work out better for people in terms of chunk rendering yeah that's one thing that always pulls me out of the game 
if if I'm moving around and there's a giant like chunk that just hasn't rendered in, it's just an empty hole. I mean, it's it's there physically, but it's just not showing. Um, that that I find is always kind of problematic for that first experience. You do want you do kind of want a fresh Minecraft world, you know, when you're walking around to be rendering in at the right speed and not feel like you're walking on a glass floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad to see that they've tracked back the um, angle at which you bump off the wall while sprinting. It looks like it still might be too shallow. Um, I'm sure it's a delicate balance between making this be too forgiving, um, but also um, I haven't played in the snapshots to physically test it, but from what I've seen, uh, again, I think we probably watched the same Exumavoid video. It felt like it was still kind of shallow because he couldn't reproduce it in the video. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that they consider that it like that it it should be a little bit more forgiving and try to find that balance. I think it's trying to find a balance between what they want to remove by getting rid of this effect is the problem where if you're running down a one block wide corridor and you're going what you think is more or less straight, but your character just like veers by a decimal point every so often that leads to you slowing down even though you're effectively running forward versus what i think people are interpreting this as as you know being able to like brush against the corner of a block as you walk past and and it's still working which which doesn't really make that much sense when you think about it like i walk around the house and i occasionally like bump my hip against a door handle or something that slows me down <laughs> so i i get the sense that like they they're not necessarily trying to iron out that many issues where your sprint gets cancelled because like they're the kind of things, the the kind of situations that players almost take for granted in terms of the the movement around the world now. So I expect they're trying to make the change not too intrusive, but just affect quality of life in a way that means that if you're sprinting down your branch mine, you don't end up losing your sprint when you just lightly brush against the wall. For me, it's it's going up things like spiral staircases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's it's that kind of a thing. So it's same idea. Like you're still you're not going in at a crazy angle. I'm not talking about like running into the wall. I'm being mad that I stopped running. Like I, I get that. Like if I run straight nose into it. But I mean, when you're trying to turn the corner on the stair and continue to run up the stair, but you continuously hit either the railing or the middle pillar or whatever. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's that's probably where I see it the most uh, because of the small spaces specifically on the Citadel with the the West Hill build. Um, there's definitely a number of small places where when I go through a door, I have to like turn quickly. And if I don't, it's kind of, it's, it feels a little bit strange. Um, but yeah, like I, I get it when you're like, if you, if it's something where you're turning into like a 90 degree hallway and you kind of bounce off the wall, like, yeah, I mean, I kind of want that to be, um, something that holds you up because there are, I mean, I'm sure there's maps, there's probably PVP situations where you want that to be a skill. Like you want to be able to, you know, reward players for being able to maneuver around the map and not touch anything. They'll get to go faster and potentially avoid, you know, arrows, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like our audience is going to get impatient with us dwelling on the minutiae of this snapshot if we spend (laughs) any longer on it though. So how about we get through chunk mail and then we can uh, get talking about the wild update. Sure. Email from this uh, for this week comes in from Sam S uh, or quadruple digit. And if you'd like to email the show, you can use the email spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Hey, Johnny and Joel, I have been playing the Bedrock betas and I can say that I don't want to go back to pre-118 terrain again. I have also had to change my strategy because of the lack of coal deep down in the world. Previously on the podcast, you mentioned bringing logs with you to turn into charcoal, but I took advantage of the large caverns underground 
and planted a bunch of saplings in the middle where they have space to grow. I can use the saplings and trees as signposts that I've been in that cave before. As I explore, the trees grow and are ready to be harvested and burned into charcoal or used for sticks to be crafted into torches or tools. This took care of almost all of my needs while wandering the deep, but the one thing I still find lacking is food. What would you suggest for a decent renewable food source to take with you into the deep underground? If Mojang added a mob or another better food source than glowberries to the caves, what would you think could work? Or would you just give up and eat tons of rotten flesh? Thanks for the excellent podcast. Quadruple digit starved to death while chopping trees in a cavern. <laughs> a feat you've brought upon yourself. Should have brought oak trees so you could get apples. Um, <laughs> I was not, thinking not, about that actually. Not really a viable strategy, just based on how random the apple drops are. But they could maybe save your bacon if you're lucky. It's that skyblock player mentality coming back in at this point. Like, mm -hmm. what can I, what can I eat when there is literally nothing around me? Um, first of all, the tree play is very smart. Um, bringing saplings with you. I, I think I've done that before, but it just didn't occur to me in answering the email that we had on this subject on a previous yeah, episode um i think the same approach really can be taken with food now so bring crops um i feel like a couple of times once again i've had my bacon saved by a zombie that dropped a carrot or a potato and then i could find a patch of dirt craft a stone hoe and then you know be able to farm those things renewably uh, there are a lot of skeletons around so you, there's plenty of opportunities to get bone meal you can even find bones in dungeon chests and occasional loot chests here and there and you can compost some of that stuff as well so you could even make renewable bone meal once you had a high enough yield um i think we're all used to eating steak and pork chops and chicken and golden carrots because we're all used to playing at end game where we can farm these things on mass but i think for a caving trip I, I mean, even as a, a late game food source, I find baked potatoes end up feeling pretty viable. I think they restore about as much hunger as the average bite of chicken does. Uh, so I think they're they're pretty satisfying in that respect. And if you can just generate a stack of those by bone mealing, and if you've got a fortune tool on you, even better, you can multiply them. Um, then it's going to be a, a lot easier for you to handle those caves, I think. Yeah, the only addition that I would say is that... Uh... If, and I don't remember if this is the case, moss can be used on deep slate, not just natural stone. Yeah, yeah, um, it should be. Then then bring some moss with you because that's going to be really easy bone meal. Um, yeah. And, and like an endless supply because you get more out of it than you need to put into it. Uh, and that way you can have, uh, plus uh, grass will grow on moss, which means that you could harvest that, get enough seeds and potentially have some wheat going if you're really, you know, starving for food. Um, but I, I would agree with you. I think I think um, baked potatoes would be the way to go. Or if you brought carrots, uh, then you are going to be down there mining. You might have some gold to spare. You could probably turn um, some some carrots into golden carrots and stretch them a little bit farther. Yeah, definitely. Golden carrots still have some of the best saturation in the game for a stackable food source, so that means you're not going to get hungry as frequently. And doing a lot of mining down there can take the hunger out pretty quickly because it will it will use up hunger. Plus, you're probably sprinting around some of those caverns too. Um, in terms of what Mojang can do to add a better food source than glowberries to the caves, um, I I think there's options for you know biome expansions and stuff in future that could add things, or maybe even mobs that were introduced. You know, we were speculating about whether moles would make something, you know, a, a tasty thing roasted over an open flame. But uh, I do think they could 
revisit fishing mechanics in caves, especially now there are these big aquifers everywhere, and some of them that even fish are meant to uh, generate in. I believe, like, tropical fish spawn in lush caves now. Correct, yep. I really hope that they end up revisiting fishing mechanics to uh, remove or adjust the way... Uh, fishing works best when you have open sky above you. Uh, in caves, I think fishing is about a quarter of the efficiency, the quarter of the bite rate that you get on the surface, uh, which is fine. You know, it's nice to have a fishing trip and spend some time out under the stars kind of thing, as though you were taking a fishing trip in real life. But I think down there in the caves, it's going to make for an interesting alternative food source. It just takes ages to catch anything. And player patience runs out, I feel like, before the supply of fish does. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe fishing mechanics need to be revisited if we don't get some other kind of food source underground. But I think the best play is really going to be to bring some sort of renewable crop from the surface. You know, break a couple of grass blocks in the uh, in the, the lush caves to get, get yourself some, some wheat seeds even. And bread is going to be a little bit grindy to get hold of compared to potatoes, but it's going to be uh, at least enough that you can munch on while you're down there. The other thing that that I would suggest would, uh, as a, like a, a new food source, um, obvious one to me would be a new kind of mushroom that you could just eat. Um, yeah. That you yeah, could that's... find in, in either lush caves or drift caves or just any cave. Um, that could be that could be good. Maybe like a, a mushroom that only grows on deep slate, you know, or or grows on deep slate lush caves like there, maybe there has to be a specific combo um that could be kind of cool um plus you know would another decorative block for people like landscaping another um another thing to add some immersion into the the, the caving experience um, yeah that is true Sp speaking yeah. of mushrooms actually you could if you're lucky enough to find both types of mushrooms in the cave you could also start making yourself some mushroom stew which is an mm. annoying food source since it doesn't stack but if you kind of craft yeah. it bespoke then you can uh you know just get it when you need it and it's not going to save you from a horde of zombies when you need to <laughs> refill that hunger bar but i think that's uh that's another option that people don't consider that often because mushroom stew doesn't really come into their minds as an easy food source yeah for me it's usually stackable food sources like i don't want to have to go back every time i'm i'm out like i, I want a, a full stack of food that's usually mm -hmm. where my brain goes yeah and carrying around three stacks of items in the bowls and the two different mushrooms is just not enough for, for your inventory uh so let's move on let's talk about the wild updates and like i said we figured we'd talk about the announcement of the wild update this week and uh give everybody a chance to process the results of the mob vote before we discussed it next week we we are still in the uh the kind of post game of minecraft live where everyone posts like fan art of the two mobs that lost the vote crying <laughs> which i find kind of hilarious in a way in a kind of like uh yeah schadenfreude kind of way um but we'll talk about the allay and uh what the other options could have been next week uh but for this week we need to talk about the wild updates so we have swamps and the deep dark being the focus although we do have a hint at potentially an expansion to birch forests uh what kind of jumped out at you from uh, from the whole presentation joel uh i think we should not beat around the bush and just go straight into the deep dark because that that to me stole the show mm -hmm. uh, i i mean i i think it's cool that they're doing all the updates don't get me wrong uh, especially because it swamps indicate very clearly that well like when the minecraft community speaks up mojang is very very um often listening uh and i and i think that that that's clear um but with the deep dark um it's it's one of those things where if you're going to announce that you're going to delay it then you then have to follow it up with a darn good reason and boy did they yeah, uh, yeah. i i am actually surprised that the name of the update doesn't 
reflect the deep dark more. Like I'm surprised it's not, you know, the it's deep not, dark. It's not update. quite it's, like taking it's a little, center stage, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a little on the nose, and 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 calling it the deep dark update would eliminate, you know, the 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 intuition that swamps are also going to be updated. Yeah, yeah. But, but I feel like the the wild and the the concept art that we saw was all very focused on the swamp, where I really felt like the mo- majority of the work was in the deep dark. Um, I mean, I could be a little bit biased because we had Brandon on the show, but uh, mm-hmm. I I really like where it's going. Uh, the ancient cities look very cool, but it was the sound design that I think caught both of our attention. Oh yes, uh, on the sh- on the live stream, uh, there's creepy ambience, squishy, uneasy footsteps. There's an echo in a place where you don't want to make noise, which mm-hmm. is like kind of mm-hmm. amplifies like every little mistake you make is just like, God oh, darn it. <laughs> like why? Um, and then of course the heartbeats from the warden classic kind of horror movie sniffing sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, like it reminded me of that scene in the fellowship when the ring race has the hobbits cornered on the road. Yeah and, yeah, and it's sniffing for them, and it's just you can't <laughs> see the nose, you can't see the face. It's just this head moving black and back and forth. It's this big, big black, you know, void in in the hood, making a sniffing noise that sounds like an animal, but but is obviously coming from like a humanoid. Um, but on a second viewing, I noticed that the ambience wasn't just ambience. There actually is. It sounds like music in the ancient cities, and maybe even the deep dark. If there's a different track for different areas, um, it's not classic music what you and i would consider like a a score but it definitely feels composed it's not just creepy noises like it's musical which i think is really interesting uh so that to me that to me really stood out yeah ambience 10 out of 10 100 emoji i I think it's like it's really really cool and i agree i i hope that that music is in game in some form like the nether update music made such a big change to Mm -hmm. the different biomes in the nether even though we had you know music in the nether before the fact that they effectively some of them had their own themes really changes things and yeah like the the sound design team the art team has done such a great job on on the deep dark so far and we took a look at the the mechanics of course and it seems like the gameplay team is doing really well with that too um there are some great environmental hints on how to avoid the warden in the structures of these cities and this is what i really dedicated most of yesterday too i went on stream i grabbed a bunch of blocks because we have most but not all of the blocks that we saw in the ancient cities we'll talk about that in a second too but i tried to recreate some of these environments just going through the video frame by frame and kind of looking at the the elements that they've used to compose these structures and there are wool pathways uh, around some of this area, which is both teaching players to avoid being heard, because, you know, if you're walking around near skulk sensors on wool for the first time and you're not familiar with the mechanics, you can realize, oh, wait, it doesn't hear me when I'm walking on wool. And that teaches players to avoid being heard. You also have snowballs in loot chests teaching players to kind of distract the warden when that happens. And there's even some string in there, which I wasn't sure about at first, but people did point out in the comments of today's video that um, the string in there could be crafted into wool, which you could then use again to uh, to try and escape the warden, escape the uh, the sound of your footsteps being heard. It's all you know, helpful gameplay for the player, but it's also environmental storytelling in that whoever has built these giant ruins has built them that way intentionally. 
And so they have effectively installed countermeasures for like, okay, if the warden shows up, get on the wool paths. Or like, maybe if they are, you know, revering the warden in some way with this structure, which seems likely given that it sort of has this temple vibe with altars around here and there, and the chiseled deep slate with the warden's face on it is quite prominent, then they have sort of adapted to that and had this culture of, you know, our footsteps must not be heard lest the warden be summoned. You know, it kind of, you know, brings up a lot of these kind of, you know, fantasy cult vibes to me that is, is really quite interesting. Yeah, I... the. I don't know about the snowballs in the chest. It kind of makes me wonder why there's snowballs in the deep dark. Yeah, I mean, that that may well have been just for the purposes of the video to show the, right. the distraction mechanic. You know, it could be eggs, it could be, you know, any other right. sort of throwable item, and snowballs were just a convenient example. Also maybe right. familiar to players who had seen the original announcement for the Warden back at Minecraft Live 2020, where they used snowballs to distract the Warden in that video as well. So you see a snowball and you think, aha, that's, that's the same thing that we've seen previously, and it creates a connection to that original vision for the Warden. Speaking of things we've seen previously, uh, I know that the warden did this really cool thing where it, it, it came out of the skulk when it was finally summoned, mm -hmm. but I noticed that it was the same model that yeah. we saw in last year's uh, presentation, despite the fact that we know that it's it's gone through iterations since. So yeah. whatever state it's in now, obviously they're not ready to reveal it yet. Uh, and I, I think that's interesting. Like, I think that's interesting that I, we know it's changing, but they're, they've decided at this point to just kind of show the old one. They've, they're not willing to show like the, 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 the we're almost there version, you know? I mean, so has it been through more design iterations? Because we definitely saw like stages of concept art for it previously, but I thought the iterations it was going through were more gameplay focused than art focused. I could I'm pretty be wrong sure, about that. I'm, I'd have to go back and listen. I'm pretty sure Brandon said on our show that, that it, it had changed dramatically. I'm, I'm not certain, but um, I, I think from what we've seen, the, the gameplay of it has definitely changed dramatically since the initial announcement video where, for a start, it was just in a Deep Slate kind of ravine, almost, and now that we have Deep Slate caves in the game, that as an environment wasn't going to feel quite as momentous to encounter the Warden there versus you know you're in the deep dark when you step out into this pre-constructed environment. Um... But also, yeah, the fact that it rises out of the skulk, the fact that it is summoned by these shriekers to begin with, which was something we had never seen before as far as I know. And they seem like a really cool mechanic, both for, like, creating that horror ambience of, you know, effectively there's a screaming block in the game now. Um, but they also, they seem to pick up the sound coming from skulk sensors around them. I don't know if that's necessary for them to activate, and if you remove the skulk sensors, then they are, you know, temporarily deafened. Or if it's the case that they act like a skulk sensor, but with different functionality, they don't emit redstone, they emit sound. And I, I'm i kind of curious about what the fine detail of that mechanic is. They also produce that darkness effect, which we saw in the original demonstration, but hadn't really been attached to anything in particular yet. Um, and then now we kind of see that coming into effect and i'm wondering if because they said multiple skulk shriekers if you um if you activate them then that's what summons the warden if you've tripped the alarm system enough times i'm kind of wondering if it's like bad omen like the darkness effect kind of stacks the more you end up 
triggering these shriekers and if you trip one while you've still got like darkness three or something like that that's when it summons the warden as though you're summoning a pillager raid that or it could be just like you know three strikes and you're out or five yeah um mm-hmm. uh it sounds like they um with the, them reacting to sound if you're harvesting skulk sensors like if you're down there collecting stuff you're only going to be able to get a handful before you summon the warden so if you can figure out what that magic number is if five summons the warden get four and leave <laughs> you know like that that could be a way to go too i'm i find it interesting that the way that it was described in the video uh was that the shriekers are causing the darkness effect because mm-hmm. visually when i was watching it that's not what i got from the from the sample clip that they played what i felt was happening uh was that the skulk sensors were hearing the player and sending that sound uh alert to the shriekers the shriekers would then make their noise, make their scream, uh, both of which have a cool visual animation to go along with the sound, which I thought was great. You know, so you've got the sound wave looks kind of like a a Wi-Fi symbol goes from the skulk sensor, but then a bunch of concentric rings rise out of the shrieker Mm -hmm. to indicate the the sound going up into the ceiling, uh, which also makes it easy to spot them. So like if you hear one, but you're like, where was that? That wasn't near me. Like it's not in front of me. Then you're like, oh, there's one up on the cliff. Crap. Like I have to be careful of like where they are. I thought that was a really cool way of like letting you know where they are. Also what they're doing for anybody that's got hearing impairment, you know, issues, then they'll see what's happening on screen instead of just being able to hear it. Um, but what I thought was happening was the skulk sensors heard the player alerted the shriekers, the shriekers make the noise And I felt like the darkness that was happening combined with the blue glow that was kind of off in the distance somewhere, it kind of like a, it was like a ceiling light that kind of came with a pulse and a scream or not a scream, like a moan. Uh, I thought it was the warden that was making everything dark. That's how I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's been said that that's not the case, that it's the, it's the shriekers that are doing it, but I felt like the shriekers are making the noise. And then you hear like the grumpy warden basically saying like, quiet, you know, and then (laughs) everything goes dark. It's like, shush, like shut up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that could be very ominous. And and I I like that idea. Um, I don't know because it felt, because it felt like when the warden did arrive, it happened to be a lot darker a lot faster like it just you didn't get a lot of light happening yeah um it was hard to see what was going on uh even in the video as they're showcasing it i was like i I don't even know if i really saw much of the warden outside of maybe a fist but like um it that to me was was interesting i wonder uh if that darkness can be affected by or helped with like night vision potions i wonder if there's going to be any way for the players to have that be a little bit more accessible and i say that not as like a take this scary hard thing and make it easy i'm thinking about players that either are younger and it might be a little bit too scary for them uh, or players that again have um you know visual challenges uh and i mean like i had trouble seeing in that video i can't imagine somebody that has you know visual problems being like saying like oh yeah this is gonna be a piece of cake yeah um so yeah i mean it's interesting i'm not i'm not not at all slamming it i'm just i've got questions uh and i'm curious to see where it goes um from here yeah i think it's it's very very interesting looking at the development of stuff like this and there's definitely ways it can be made more accessible we've already got like accessibility sliders for things like um 
you know the nausea effect that you get when going through nether portals and the amount of your fov changes when drawing back a bow that kind of thing they're not against adding features like that but if you want like the the full kind of intended default experience uh, and and you're somebody with you know regular vision then you can uh, you can take a look at that i i think um what you're talking about with the the idea that the warden is somehow causing the darkness kind of speaks to the the synergy that the whole area has now mm-hmm. like yep. i think i think it's it's a really neat assortment of things that all work together very very well and and that's really neat there's a few other mechanics outlying here in the the deep dark environment that are still kind of things that we haven't really come to terms with in terms of they weren't announced last year they're they're brand new things the other thing really being the spread of skulk is so different like it's different from any other kind of block we have in that it actually requires mobs to die around it in order to spread it and you'll notice in the video that that doesn't just spread the basic skulk blocks when one of the zombies is killed it creates a skulk sensor so the block elements of the skulk are there but like the kind of carpet of it is there but also the stuff that grows on it starts to pop up as well and so imagine trying to farm large amounts of these things now has to involve you know you're linking your skulk field up to a mob farm so that you can try and like kill mobs and and whether that it depends whether it has to be a, a player kill or whether it can be automated in some way and it just involves mobs dying in the area but to get a renewable supply of skulk sensors seems perfectly possible with this as a mechanic but it takes a lot more than just bone mealing the skulk to grow these things you know i think that's really interesting it's a very creative way of spreading this it makes it super creepy but it's like no other mechanic that we have in the game right now in terms of propagating that stuff and being able to acquire more of it you don't see mobs typically getting involved with that except in terms of the passive mob way of you know getting sheep to eat grass so you can farm their wool or getting villagers to farm crops for you maybe like that's the the equivalent of the skulk mechanic where if you end up killing mobs nearby the amount of xp they drop is what causes the skulk to spread and and determines how far it spreads which makes me wonder if you take a skulk block to the end the first time you kill the dragon how much skulk do you get because if you kill the dragon (laughs) nearby one of these things and it's like twelve thousand xp drops do you think the entire end island just converts into skulk i have a feeling that'd look pretty awesome if you could make it happen that would be really cool sacrifice the dragon to the to the skulk the beast I had the same thoughts and I went back and listened to the video again and and um King B Dogs Brandon was careful to say that you know mob farms are it'd be interesting to see what the technical community could do with it so I don't think you have to kill the mob yourself uh in order for it to to grow the skulk I think that might be how you might discover it initially um but also that means that there's going to be other mobs in the deep dark because otherwise how like how would the player know that killing a mob um near a skulk what's it called catalyst um would spread the skulk unless you could either do it or have the opportunity to do it if there's no mobs other than the warden then you're not going to know so this is the thing i think it's it's encouraging the player to experiment by taking some of the blocks away which is i think our natural impulse by the time we've reached that 
stage of Minecraft, like, can I mine this? Mm -hmm. um, and they did say that you'd be able to get all of the skulk blocks with silk touch. If you break them without, then they just drop XP, which is another interesting thing. Like, can we spread these things via XP, dropping from mobs? They kind of store the XP, and then we can break a bunch of these blocks to effectively get XP really fast. Um, so that's a, that's a concept. But beyond that... I, I expect that the mobs that enter the deep dark will be mobs that have maybe followed you in from nearby caves, like zombies that are still tracking you as right. a player. They they very definitely moved to a different area of the caves in order to do that demonstration, which I think definitely implies to me they want to keep the idea of that skulk spread mechanic separate from the deep dark, implying that no mobs are going to be spawning in the deep dark's ancient city areas, at least. And... Uh, yeah, I, I get the sense that that mechanic is something players are going to discover on their own. What it means for the ancient city as an area, though, is that mobs, or potentially even players, have been taken there and sacrificed in order to spread this skulk. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. potentially why there is so much of it around the places, because there has been, you know... The potential for mobs to have been taken there and killed in order to spread it and i think they they hinted at that in the presentation as well so it has implications for the for the lore of the area even more so so how do you feel about the updates above ground like the we've got swamps there's lots of things happening in swamps yeah um it's the the one thing i want to take away from this first and foremost is the the swamps were the runner-up from 2019's biome vote uh, we looked at the stats of the biome votes in our last episode, and swamps were the closest runner-up from any vote, give or take. I think maybe the glow squid isologer race was pretty close too. Um, but this is a biome, obviously, and this is Mojang committing themselves to adding things that we have voted on in the past but didn't make the cut at the time. Uh, which is very important, especially for people who were really gunning for the Copper Golem this year, because it means it's not over for Savannas, Deserts, Badlands, the Isologer, the Moobloom, the Copper Golem, or the Glare. They are back in the pile of ideas, and Mojang is now showing us that they can make good on their promise to bring these things back when it is relevant to do so. And you look at the stuff for Swamps, it's exactly what they had as the offering for those biomes in the 2019 biome vote it's mangrove trees it's chest boats and it's frogs it is of course other things around that and it turns out that those have a little bit more depth and i was looking back at the tiger biome vote and thinking that ultimately that didn't lead to a huge amount changing about the tiger biome itself we got foxes and we got the arctic fox variant from that we got berry bushes which are nice to have they've got a few different mechanics associated with them and we got campfires which i love campfires are such a great addition to the game but in terms of how that informed the landscape of tiger biomes didn't change a thing and obviously now we're getting a lot of terrain additions on the flip side of that mountains as a biome got voted in and they decided to change all of terrain <laughs> because it needed to live up to the scale they wanted for for mountains and so with swamps we kind of have a nice middle ground there where they are adding the stuff they wanted but adding mangrove trees means they've thought about adding a mangrove biome there are root blocks added to the trees the trees have a unique sapling mechanic there are mud blocks because that's the kind of environment they like i feel like there's a little bit more fleshing out of this idea versus what people have been asking for what people have maybe expected 
is that we get an update where they add all of these different features that have lost previous biome votes, but all we would get in savannas would be termites and ostrich and baobab trees just kind of plonked in the existing landscape without any additional stuff to really tie them into a new vision for that biome. And I think that's what we're getting with swamps. I think we are getting a new vision for biomes in the way that this wild update seems to be hinting at with a bit more of an immersive atmosphere from the biome itself and things that tie these new features to the landscape instead of just making them feel isolated from it. Yeah, I, I think that the immersion in these environments is kind of what they're going for. I, I like that. It was something akin to that is what they said. It was like, we want people to feel like they're out in the wilderness and that means denser biomes, which... Um, I think adding the root systems to the mangrove tree is the is like the the biggest change, because um, right now in a swamp it's it's they they generate differently, but they're they're trees, they're oak trees, they're just a little bit lower to the ground. Um, but having a different root system, I think, gives the trees a different silhouette. It gives when you have a lot of them, uh, especially in some of the concept art where they're very close together. Um, with the trees being so close together, it means the roots are even closer. Uh, and if they're generated in a way that you can like sail a boat underneath them, uh, you can walk underneath them, you could potentially wall one up and live under one. Like there's a bunch of different cool things that, that come to mind, uh, living in a swamp, um, in, in the new update, um, like visuals that they shared. Uh, the, the thing that struck me the most, uh, and I hope they're able to do it somehow is like the ambiance that they have when they added the fireflies, right? You see the the little lightning bugs flying around, mm -hmm. uh, but also um, any kind of fog or mist. I don't know if that's possible, um, but like that to me would also be interesting in the same way that they have like the, um, I guess it might be easier in the nether because there's a ceiling, but how you have the different fog colors, you know, blue for uh, Soul Sand Valley, it's kind of like a whitish gray ash for uh, basalt deltas. If they gave us some sort of um, different color fog effect, similar to like the, the, the water color fog effect in the swamp is kind of like a yellowish. It's kind of like a dirty brown. Mm -hmm. um, and so doing that in a swamp, I think would also be, be something cool, kind of adding that, that ambience. But the, the overall kind of like mission to me with the, the above ground updates was, was all about immersion. It was all about feeling like you're in, a place and it is surrounding you as opposed to walking through it or being able to stand in a birch forest and see the other side of it you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i think they want them to feel a lot more dense yeah and i think those particle effects could be used for like falling leaves in a forest biome or something like yep. that i think there's there's definitely some uh some depth to be added there for certain um how do you feel about the look of mangrove wood right now and i mean we'll talk about the log texture but obviously we saw a hut built out of the planks and so forth as well and i feel like a few people weren't keen on it what's your take on mangrove wood i'm with i'm with the not keen um mm -hmm. i and i and i'll put a big asterisk here and saying like they're textures and there's a long time for textures to change and be you know iterated upon between now and whenever 119 comes out um but the, I mean, the cool thing is that we have a second tree that has a horizontal bark texture, yes, um, similar to jungle. But in that same vein, the mangrove wood is very similar to jungle 
you know, when you look at it uh, as a wood set and we're talking like, you know, doors and, and planks and stairs and fences. And there were, they said there'd be an entire, entire set of wood. Um, that to me uh, is, I don't want to say narrow minded, but it's narrow in scope as far as, as usefulness, because um, something that they've been doing a fair bit lately with like Blackstone, Deep Slate, uh, and I've come to like Deep Slate, but you know what I use is cobbled Deep Slate. What I don't mm-hmm. use is Deep Slate, which yes, is different and yes, has a different texture. I can't tell them a part of my inventory unless I hover over them with to yeah. see the name. And if you put them on the ground, yes, you can see the difference because the textures have a different direction, but it's subtle. Uh, yeah. And that to me feels like we're already pressed for space in the inventory. And and if you want a new block to be added to Minecraft, which is such a rare occasion and an exciting occasion when it happens, you want it to be at least different than some of the other things that are already in there. Um, I've heard the same feedback about mud. It's another brown block in Minecraft. Do we ne- necessarily need another ma- brown block? Not really. Um, could it have a different texture? Sure. Will it get a different texture? Quite possibly. Um, I felt the mud was really purple in all of the screenshots that I saw. Mm-hmm. Didn't yeah. didn't look like mud to me. Um, and yes, I've hiked and I know what mud looks like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I also couldn't tell in the screenshots whether the mud went under the water. Like I don't know whether it was dirt under the water or whether it was mud um, all the way down. Um, but yeah, I feel like the the mangrove wood is far too close to jungle. And you commented, I think, on our live stream that uh, by quickly Googling what a mangrove would look like and what the inside of a mangrove looked like, that it was quite natural and, and looked like what a mangrove wood would look like. Well, that's great. But if it doesn't broaden the palette in Minecraft, we've also got warped wood and crimson wood in Minecraft. So like take a little creative liberty and maybe make mangrove a lighter color, you know, or something completely different. Um uh, also the comment that new wood or a new tree means new wood. Mm, azalea, anybody? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think the azalea comment is probably one we're going to hear a great deal. Um yeah, looking at it, I I agree that you don't necessarily have to go to real life for what wood types look like because if you look at acacia wood and you look at acacia wood when you do a google image search they do look very different acacia wood is not always this like bright orange kind of color but that's kind of my pitch for why i think mangrove is not too bad because it's a good transitional wood for people using jungle and acacia which are two wood types that i see people avoid all the time because they have a different color temperature to the birch through dark oak range like you can make a decent gradient between birch oak spruce and dark oak but then jungle and acacia don't really fit in there at all and so i'm wondering if they're intending mangrove to be more like a middle ground between the two that allows for more expansion of that build palette it doesn't really help the jungle comparison that the screenshots they showed of a hut built out of mangrove wood are just next to a jungle (laughs) and so you kind of assume at first glance that it's made out of the local wood type until you look a little bit closer and of course you know, it it's, has the potential to be retextured in future if players really feel negatively about the color. But I do think it has potential and it's the kind of thing that I'll definitely wait to get it into my inventory and see what I can build with it. Because I think maybe this could even be a reaction to players wanting that like medium gray that Deep Slate ended up providing in terms of the stone brick color palette, the connecting block between stone bricks and blackstone. 
and Mojang looking at that and thinking, okay, what middle grounds can we fill in the rest of the build palette that are going to give us options there? And maybe the middle ground between Jungle and Acacia Wood ended up being one of those things. Um, I, I agree. I think it's great that it's another horizontal bark texture. Good to see how that sits alongside Jungle Woods, Jungle Logs. Um, it's also worth remembering that new wood types mean new logs, stripped logs, wood, stripped wood, planks, stairs, slabs, fences, fence gates, doors, buttons, pressure plates, trap doors, and potentially boats, with the addition now of chest boats as well. <laughs> so that's about 15 items linked to one type of material. It's it's a whole lot. Um, so obviously whenever they add a new wood, they've got to do it right. And I am curious what direction they would take with it if they didn't have to stick to the natural color of mangrove wood and so maybe there's still room for community feedback there we will see uh on the other side of that we also get root blocks which are brand new um haven't seen anything like those before there's a new leaf attached to mangrove trees as well which i don't know if it's going to change color depending on the biome it looks like a very swampy leaf color in the screenshots we have seen of it I think the root blocks could be interesting. I don't know if they are going to be something that we can kind of pass through or maybe slowly in the same way that we pass through cobwebs as though you're kind of picking your way through the roots of these things or if they're going to be solid blocks that just look very transparent like a a, a kind of weird hybrid of a log and a leaf block in terms of their transparency. But I can see them being used for interesting stuff, maybe like a, a kind of fence made out of sticks kind of roped together around the outside of a fairly rustic village build, for example. Like if you're building a swamp village, imagining using those mangrove roots to kind of create a perimeter fence could be maybe a little bit more natural feeling than making a wood fence out of giant logs the way that, you know, Viking hill forts were that kind of thing so there's yeah. potential in the other blocks that mangrove provides even if you don't find that much to like about the wood i think uh and finally uh it went by quite quickly in in the li live stream but uh i like the leaf block like it's a darker green it's got kind of like a like a u-shaped leaf it's kind of like a, like a droopy look to it which mm -hmm. could be very cool for custom trees having a different direction for um the the texture um i'm with you on on the root block i i do really like the um the physical roots the sub block looking roots that they have in the concept art which look more like horizontal fences connected in different ways um but i can also appreciate the usefulness of, of the way that they have the the root block currently now uh, also uh root block could be used as like a thatched stick roof yeah you know mm -hmm. if you wanted to do something like that uh having done some thatched roofs in like hay bale blocks uh on the citadel recently i could see that being a nice you know color change but still have it look very you know rudimentary very rustic um there's a lot of green in the bark too which is which is nice so if you're mixing it in with moss um that was something that i thought was interesting is that uh in the concept art they had uh, and i know that the concept art is very different from what's happening in real life but in the concept art they had grass and mossy stuff growing on top of the mangrove roots mm -hmm. and it would be really cool if they could do that in the game where um like moss moss carpet or something could be grown on top of it or even have something as, as unique as uh, mangrove wood being the only wood that you could place something on like flowers grass ferns that kind of stuff so if you wanted mm -hmm. to do your own stuff later on maybe mangrove could be unique in that way and that you can actually because of how swampy it is maybe it's it allows you to put to place different kind of vegetation on it 
yeah, that that could be an option too. I do agree. the The kind of mossy log look is is very neat, and naturally, it's going to be moss kind of draping over the sides of a log, which isn't going to look quite the same with moss carpet. But you know, you could maybe find some way to to blend the textures in if you're uh, fancy like that. Um, let's talk about mud blocks and mud bricks. You gave your opinion on the regular mud already and the kind of it's a bit brown, it's a bit purple kind of thing. Um, how do you feel about mud bricks? Because those are, you know, something that we've seen in block form already. Do you, uh, are, are you hoping for slabs and stairs? Because I think those could maybe make some pretty interesting like roof tiles. Yeah, I think slabs and stairs would be, would be nice to have. I don't know if they're going to go down the whole road of having like walls and that kind of thing but mm -hmm. um but uh, i like the fact that it's not a brick um template like we already have with stone bricks and deep yeah. slate bricks and that kind of thing um i know that um regular bricks that you make from clay are different in that they're smaller vertically and then they have a different pattern to them but these it looks like they're square or close to square mm -hmm. uh and Forgive me if I don't remember off the top of my head, but are endstone bricks also square or do they have like the regular brick texture? Endstone bricks are like the stone brick texture. Okay. They're basically like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I must be remembering something from like a modded stream that I saw. Anyway, mm. um, I like that it's not the same. Like I like that it's it's got a different pattern as well as a different color. Uh, and I really liked what uh, Corey said about wanting to have other building materials from around the world represented in the game so people that play minecraft that don't live in north america or europe um can have building materials that they see every day when they go about mm. their communities which i thought was really cool uh and and i think it's a a neat addition and um because they are more of a neutral they're still brown but they don't really have um a huge um temperature will say dominant um i think they'll go with more stuff mm -hmm. um already i'm thinking like they might go with dripstone they might go with a lot of terracotta uh, there's a lot of stuff there yeah def definitely more of the kind of baked clay idea kind of coming mm -hmm. through there and and they've, they've done well to capture that i think in the texture of these mud blocks uh we also speaking of clay we got the the dirt to mud to clay transition oh, right. which also makes clay renewable um i mean it doesn't make clay renewable in that it wasn't before because you can get clay blocks from uh stonemasons if you have the hero of the village effect but I, i've always found that such a a loose source of renewable clay because it doesn't really make a worthwhile source for the average player you have to get a lot of stonemasons together and have hero of the village very frequently for it to be at all productive so um you know, villagers, stonemasons can sell you all of the different clay products. They can sell you, you know, baked bricks. They can sell you all of the different types of uh, terracotta and glazed terracotta and so forth. But they can't sell you clay blocks themselves. In fact, they buy clay balls off you when you've been out mining them. Um, so I think if people want to build with clay blocks, it's cool that they are available renewably. If people want the clay ball trade to be viable, then they can farm clay this way to trade to their stonemasons without feeling like they're giving away a resource that they can't get back. I think that's that's a pretty smart addition. And also the mechanics are so cool. I mean, like, I don't know how it's going to be possible to work with using water bottles on dirt. I mean... Does the player have to do that? Can that be automated with dispensers if you want to have like a kind of factory line of this kind of thing happening? 
potentially there are, there are ways that we can work with that but then dirt turning into mud that way and then mud being placed on dripstone with pointed dripstone effectively funneling the moisture out of it so that it eventually dries and becomes clay I like that. It's another time-based mechanic in the same way that dripstone and, you know, the aging of copper and stuff has provided recently. And I think it's cool to see them iterating on this thing and, and using something that feels intuitive but also inventive. I really like the the kind of spirit of that. I'm still not sure how much I'm going to use clay <laughs> in future builds, but you never know. I think it could be it could be worth having and anything that adds renewable materials to the game is always worth having in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I've used clay in some of my more modern builds because it looks like concrete powder and can mm -hmm. be used in paths and makes things kind of sparkly. Um, it's a nice, uh, it has that concrete powder texture, which you can put either in or near water and doesn't turn to solid concrete. So, you know, th th there's some advantages there. Um, I, I've seen a number of creators make things like lava farms and uh, dripstone farms. And while time consuming at first, if you've got other things that, you, you, that you're going to do in the area, then if you put the time in for a grid of, you know, cauldrons or, or dripstone, or in this case, uh, mud over dripstone and, and pointed dripstone, then really um, you're going to be able to get a lot of clay pretty quickly. You just have to lay down all the mud first. And depending on what stage you are in the game, you may not have to use the water bottle. If you can silk touch mud with a shovel and you don't mind destroying a part of your swamp, then you could have mud blocks for days. Uh, mm -hmm. At which point you could just um, you could just uh, place it on top of the dripstone and, and collect it later. I, I did wonder about the water bottle being the mechanic in the same way that um, using, is it a honeycomb to wax copper? Yeah. Uh, is the thing. And, uh, I thought, well, wouldn't it be better if you just like put the dirt near water? But I thought, well, wow, that's going to be really hard to yeah. control. Because <laughs> it's going to have like, everything in the world. Yeah. Everything immediately goes down the rabbit hole. So like, I don't know if they can do that kind of stuff by them specific or whatever. Uh, I thought that could be, I thought that would be interesting. And like, if dirt was covered with water in a swamp biome, then over time it would turn into mud. Uh, in the same way that grass kind of spreads, we know when you've got dirt and next to a grass block, that could be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, or if you put mud next to uh, a certain block, maybe it spreads in the biome. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I do feel like there's going to be, because it requires the player interaction, you know, clicking with the water bottle, uh, water bottles don't stack as far as I remember. So like that just, yeah, it, it does feel like there's going to be a certain amount of like redstone genius in terms of like, dispensers giving you water bottles while dirt goes by you for the people that are going to want to make these crazy farms it's going to look like a, a great ball contraption <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well at least now if you have to dig up all of the mud from your local mangrove swamp then you can make out like a bandit with your chest boat <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pitch this like a brand new car but um <laughs> we we now have a uh, a new passenger in boats with us we can add a chest in there uh as of this update of course and um they are going to be a good functional early game inventory transport as far as i can tell you can already kind of do this if you can bear the pain of trying to drag a donkey into a boat with chests attached to it but you can't put horses in boats right now so the saddlebags of a horse aren't going to help you all that much you can put llamas in boats as well but then llamas are kind of 
tricky to cart around with you. So the chest boat does seem like it is cutting out the middleman of dealing with annoying mobs and allowing you to attach transport and inventory storage, like co combining them for a match made in heaven. I know the chest boat was probably the thing that pitched most people on swamps to begin with. From a mechanical perspective, it was the offering of swamps. So I'm kind of curious to think what... Uh, what people are up to with chest boats and uh, how viable they see these being when they're actually introduced to the game. I wonder if they'll be able to interact with other blocks. Like if you had a hopper underwater and you drove the drove, if you rode the the, <laughs> the chest boat, the car thing stuck in my head. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> if you if you if you rode the chest boat over the the hopper where you have filled it with your goodies. And you don't have to unpack it by hand. The yeah. hopper could then suck the stuff out the bottom of it. Uh, that could be really useful uh, and fun in early game. Um, I, they're not as exciting for me because, I, I, I mean, I carry more shulkers, shulkers than I know what to do with. So yeah. at late game or, or, or bringing a server forward, they're not something that I see myself using a lot of. They're cool to look at. They make great decorations. Like sticking one in the river in my medieval town would look great. So yeah. like they've definitely got the practical thing down. Um, I know Agnes mentioned in, in the live that um, with the rivers being wider now and easier to traverse and you're being able to go farther uh, inland and explore the world, having, you know, the extra inventory, I think is going to be uh, a boon to that. Um, and I would agree. Like, I, I think that's a, that's a good, good way to go. I mean, like yeah. I also, I say all this, I could also use a chest boat full of shulker boxes because you, know, <laughs> you can put shulkers in chests, right? So yes. like it's, it's possible to, to do quite a bit if you were um, trying to, you know, if you're doing a big, big project where you have to dig a lot of stuff, like you have to mine a lot of sand or get a lot of terracotta and like you can only put so many shulker boxes in certain things like it could you could end up hauling a lot of stuff around. Um, also, um, if you're playing survival, then then rowing a boat home is safer than, you know, if you can't sleep or whatever, then it's safer than traveling the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I th I think it's going to be uh, worth having in the early game, especially. Um, I also think the chest boat is going to be useful inventory transport for people who just don't go to the end, which is a larger proportion of players than, you know, we at our end game survival with all our shulker boxes might expect. But some people either don't want to go to the end, don't feel like doing the progression of the game, are intimidated by something like the Ender Dragon fight, which can go wrong very quickly. And... I think this opens up more options and people have been looking for more transport now that there is you know a, a broader scope to the world people have been wondering like is there something that's going to boost horses uh, is there something that's going to make some other forms of transport a bit more viable I feel like adding chests to boats seems like it seems like a good time to do it at least and when they arrive sort of middle of next year we assume then hopefully people will still be interested in lugging their stuff around and won't already have gone to the end for all of their shulker boxes um another example they used was using them in aquifers when you're going caving and I feel like that's the one problem these have for me is the lack of vertical transport ability for boats unless you want to go to the trouble of setting up bubble columns and so forth in which case you can transport a boat vertically but they're not all that good at getting back up from places where you have fallen down <laughs> as as anybody who has tried to transport villages around in them will probably attest so i think it's gonna maybe be left there as a challenge but i i do kind of hope that there are ways we can manipulate boats a little bit more easily to to go where we want to there's no real option to row up river 
or you know up blocks in the same way but that maybe that's why all of the water in minecraft remains at sea level because otherwise you'd be uh struggling to get a boat anywhere it would be really funny if villagers could fit in the chest just curl one up <laughs> just close the lid and keep you're safe buddy you're safe come with me yeah um, it's yeah a way, a way to keep your villagers protected from zombies when you're transporting them back to your base <laughs> um last of all we may as well uh yeah round out with uh, talking about frogs and i guess by association fireflies we don't really know what fireflies are going to do other than just being ambience and also frog food we don't really know if they are a mob as such they sort of seem in terms of what we have experienced so far in minecraft more like a particle effect than a mob but maybe a cloud of them is treated as a single mob and they move as a unit or there are a few different ways that could go um i am ultimately kind of on the fence about frogs i think they're very well animated they have a lot of personality already and the the kind of throat movement which google tells me is called the vocal sack uh, nice uh it's very froggy um and i don't know of many other mobs in the game that have articulated parts in that way which aren't limbs i, I feel like enderman is probably the only example of you know they unhinge their jaw <laughs> in that kind of creepy way but there aren't many other things that have that kind of animation to them so i think that's an interesting thing for frogs but now that we don't we, we know what the variants of frogs look like we don't really know what functionality they will have other than you know being kind of cute sitting around on lily pads and jumping backwards into the water um and while i don't want everything to be focused too much on functionality i know that players in general aren't going to be too happy if it just ends up being an ambient mob like the polar bear just there to add vibe to the place without any kind of real unique mechanics to them but apparently the team is working on that yeah i'm i'm with you in that i don't think that they're exciting yet um I was surprised that they weren't more vibrant when when they showed them off. Um, I mean, I get that the swamps are pretty pretty dull right now uh, in terms of everything being kind of muddy and green and, and stuff like that. And uh, I actually, I wouldn't mind that being uh, overhauled as well. I wouldn't mind the swamps being a little bit brighter. But the the frogs to me, um, they, <laughs> they're definitely derpy. <laughs> they look more like toads. I didn't get a big frog vibe, but I guess you're, you're kind of limited with the blocky designs in Minecraft is what you can create. Um, but yeah, I was surprised with how dull all the colors were, especially when they get into the very cool mechanic of breeding them in different temperature biomes to get different kinds of frogs. And we were discussing uh, live on the show that it really kind of goes in contrast with the axolotl breathing where people want to get the different color axolotls but they're stuck to RNG as to what they get. Mm. And this encourages exploration of the world. You got to go find a cool biome or a cold biome. You got to go find a tropical or a warm biome. And then the swamp is the, the just a regular frog. And they're hoping to add unique abilities or unique player mechanics or something to them. I don't know what those could be um, because I'm assuming they don't want to encourage players to kill the frogs. They probably want the frogs to either attract something or do something or be bait for something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not terribly excited. I'm still surprised that for tropical frogs, they went with this really strange white desert type frog. Um, front runner Jake in our, in our chat just posted a, a tree frog image, which I've always um, thought of when I think about tropical frogs, um, probably because they're, prominent in in pop culture and advertising um one of the telus is a mobile company here in in canada and they use or have used 
animals in their promos for a very long time. And the tree frog was one of them for ages because the mm-hmm. Telus Telus is a their 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 colors are green and white. Um, so, and I've actually done tree frog art and, and done stuff, some stuff for clients before. So I've done a lot of research into them. Uh, also I like nature shows and when you get into tropical frogs, man, are they colorful, bright mm-hmm. red, bright orange, bright green, all that kind of stuff, which I find really, really cool. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm a little bit surprised there. And the last thing, which is a bit of a, a funny note, um, you can look at the Minecraft frog texture, one of two ways, specifically the eyes. Now, traditionally, if you're going to make a derpy mob in Minecraft, the eyes kind of point sideways, kind of like mm-hmm. a pug that kind of goes sideways. But if anybody is familiar with the Phantom from the Muppet Show, his eyes are actually white dots in the middle of black eye sockets. Uh-huh. And if you look at the frog <laughs> from Minecraft in that way, it's a very intense little amphibian. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it has yeah. a very I, intense scowl. Yeah, it's 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 either staring either side of you or staring like directly through you. It's <laughs> so it's it's funny. I I expect that they're going to have a lot of character, if nothing else, and we are being mm-hmm. told they're going to have more than that. So, looking forward to that. I I have a feeling, and I mentioned this in the live show that I I get probably the reason why they're not introducing frogs in more you know saturated colors is because of the tendency for frogs with bright colorations to be venomous and i would presume they want to avoid the idea of a players killing frogs because they are potentially venomous and if they made them venomous in game that would encourage the players to kill the frogs but if they make them bright in game but they don't make them you know inflict you with poison then that might encourage younger players to think they can pick up any colorful frogs they find when they're on vacation. And then, you know, <laughs> Minecraft taught me to pick up this red frog is going to lead to a lot of problems. So I can see why that might have been a consideration for them. I'm not going to say that's 100% the reason. They might have just wanted to diversify, like, in a in a slightly different way than people expected from frogs. But I think it's... Uh, it's maybe got the player's best intentions at heart, ultimately. And they did provide an interesting reason why the white frog was chosen as the tropical frog, because apparently that helps them regulate body temperature if they turn completely white, helps them cool down. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot to unpack here, as we said, and we're obviously, we haven't even gotten into the mob vote this week. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that next week. Hopefully you folks will join us for that show. But until then, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. Music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks joining our community gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live as it gets made that also gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons we're currently at 298 patrons we only need two more to hit the big 300 and that we are up to from last week so this week could be just the same and it could happen for us uh, special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever they want to find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the rendered assistance, the extended version of the podcast. One thing you will not find on either podcast feed is our VOD of the watch party we did for Minecraft Live 2021. You can find that on YouTube at youtube.com slash the spawn chunks. You can also still find it on my Twitch channel where it will be archived for 60 days until it gets automatically deleted. But it's going to be up on the spawn chunks YouTube channel permanently. Apologies for the audio sync issues. We did kind of throw the audio setup together at the last minute and I wasn't able to take care of those live while we were broadcasting. But hopefully you folks enjoy watching our first impressions and takes on that. You can once again catch that at youtube.com slash the spawn chunks while you're there you can find me uh my name is johnny online i go by pixel riffs you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash pixel riffs where my empire's smp series is currently ongoing and hardcore survival uh, we'll see um i also stream three days a week on twitch doing behind the scenes work for my youtube series and a few other projects i'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap which you can find through another quick search on youtube and aside from that i'm at pixel riffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast is all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That's at thecitadelcafe.com. Last week, we talked about Black Widow on Disney+. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I play Minecraft. I'm looking at getting into some modded Minecraft, and in about a week, Satisfactory is going to get an update going to the experimental branch, so I'll be exploring that as well. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and the future looks pretty wild.